All right. Well, we just did a podcast with uh, Tom Clum Sr. and uh, but with Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear. And what I wanted to do is kind of lump this in the beginning before we start the podcast and the intro. And uh, th- these guys have been great for myself, for Frank, for Kafaru. I can't thank them enough. So what we wanted to do is a giveaway. Uh, so what we're going to do is we'll give away a Kafaru Ontario backpack. And what you have to do to enter this is go like uh, RMS Gear or go follow on Instagram RMS Gear. Uh, uh, to enter to win as well as Tom Clum Sr. Uh, like those pagers, pages that enters you to win. Um, and then what we will do is, is pull a name out of the hat from everyone who has already or, you know, or is, has, since we've announced this, followed their Instagram pages. Uh, we'll give away that uh, on Tarot. So it's RMS Gear. Follow that page on Instagram and Tom underscore Clum Sr. Um, on uh, Instagram as well. And then uh, obviously, you know, you can follow along on their page for any traditional archery or hunting info. So do that. You'll be entered to win. It is the 23rd. So why don't we say we will announce this the day before we go on the Alabama Slamma whitetail hunt on uh, May 1st. We'll announce the winner. February 2nd. That's what I meant. February (laughs) 2nd. Uh, Too much Copenhagen this morning. February 2nd, or no, we'll announce it February 1st. Yeah, we'll announce the winner February 1st, uh, like their pages to enter to win. And that's just a big thank you from us to uh, the guys over at Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear. So uh, we'll bring on the show. Welcome back to Kafaru Cast, everyone. I'm Aaron Snyder. I've got my man Frank Peralta across from me and a, uh, a very special guest to me, uh, the guy that I was actually assured that I would actually hit something with a uh, traditional archery bow, uh, Tom Clum Sr., owner of uh, Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear. Thanks for coming on, Tom. Yeah, my pleasure. It, uh, this is our second try at this. Somehow Frank's mic got turned off the first time. I, I don't know. I panicked, I guess. I hit a button. But, uh, but so, Tom, uh, when, I, when I started getting into the idea of um, traditional archery i, I certainly had a, a a far step forward from anyone else because you guys are about 10 minutes down the road uh from me which was a, a huge help and you've you own is it the largest traditional archery show? i mean you got more bows than anyone else anyone i've ever heard of in the united states don't you yeah in respect to that we probably are the largest as far as bow selection for sure because at any given time they're probably 500 or 600 longbows and recurves it kind of goes up and down throughout the year uh as far as overall inventory you know you you got three rivers a giant mail order place and custom king probably do a heck of a lot more mail order than us but as far as bow selection and that type of thing i don't think there's anything else anywhere that's got that so and you you guys are just getting more and more well known as time goes on i mean i can say um you know, as far as, as you said, with the traditional bows, you got whatever between four and 600, but you've also carry the most knives I've ever really seen in one place. And including, you know, Bass Pro or Cabela's, you guys carry a pile of Benchmades and a bunch of others. Mm-hmm. You've got uh Scarpa boots, first light, uh, camo. Um, and then, I mean, obviously every other thing known to man, as far as for traditional, as well as compound, you guys have a uh, expanded mm-hmm. and have a compound shop, Matt, and super knowledgeable. He runs that side. And you guys carry, what, Prime, Bowtech? Um, you remember the other one? Yeah, PSE, Expedition. We get bears, but. Yeah, gotcha. And you guys got a, a pile of uh, compound stuff on the other side as oh, well. Oh, yeah, he's, got a, he's built a really nice pro shop now. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's handy. So it's kind of a two-part, uh, you know, building. You walk in, you've got the traditional archery side, clothing, um, you know, things like that. And then uh, you know, knives, everything else. You got shooting lanes in the back on the, what I call it, the trad side. You got backpacks, everything else. And then the other side, you've got uh, compound stuff and all the, uh, you know, compounds hanging on the wall and all the different accessories. So quite, quite a bit. And then, you know, above and beyond that, obviously, is the knowledge base, um, which... You know, I wasn't overly aware of when I started. I mean, I knew you guys knew what you were doing, but I didn't, when you're not into traditional archery, you don't really uh, uh, realize that um, how much coaching or help you might, uh, one might think they need. Um, And so that side of it was was huge from tuning, uh, you know, all the way up. Because, I mean, on on my end or whatever, you know, I don't, uh, I, I don't know my, you know, ask from a hole on the ground when it comes to tuning a trad bow, especially when I started. So it's been crazy. And you've been shooting a traditional bow for your whole life, basically. Yeah. You know, I really got into it in like the mid to late eighties. I can't even remember the year now when I got out of college in 1976, I wanted to be a bow hunter and I went into buy a recurve and the guy ended up selling me a compound, which I enjoyed every second of. And then somewhere in the mid eighties, uh, I saw this cool recurve and I, my business was making good money. I bought this custom recurve and started shooting it. And, and, and then, you know, as I progressed through the summer, I was shooting a little better and, and I thought, well, you know, I might be able to hunt with this thing extra, you know, and it's really fun. And in like late June, I said, I could hunt with this, you know, I've been missing elk with my compound anyway. And went hunting with it that year killed a bull elk and shoot there's after that there's no turning back yeah that, and i mean i've obviously i get to hang out with you and, and uh, shoot the shit all the time but you have um uh you've killed quite a few uh elk as well as your your kids and i guess that's one thing i probably should you've got two sons um danny and tommy um and uh and it's funny so danny um and tommy both wrestled but but Tommy, um, not to see too many squirrels, is one of the better, better high school wrestlers in uh, the history of the United States, basically. He mm-hmm. um, was what – what was his – his record was – he had one loss his, in his four years. His record was 148 and one, and that one was his last high school match. He was ahead 12 to eight with about 15 seconds left. Got hit in a left-handed headlock, which had never happened in his high school career to his back for five and lost 13 to 12 in his last high school match. Yeah. And <laughs> I didn't know the whole, uh, you know, story or whatever behind that other than, um, I, I think Tracy, um, Golix, and you can fling that thing wherever you need to scoot forward. And, uh, we got mic problems. We don't have our table yet, but, um, Tracy Golixson or maybe, um, uh, Paul, um, had told me about, you know what I mean, uh, when, cause that wasn't that long ago, I guess. I mean, was that eight years ago now? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. And, um, uh, Danny was a good wrestler, um, but not nearly as good as, as Tommy. And then, uh, from Danny, what, Danny was a great wrestler. He was just plagued by injuries through high school and college. And, and now the roles have kind of reversed. They both make jokes about it. Um, yeah. 
where uh, in high school, everyone would talk to Tommy. And then now with hunting, everyone wants to talk to Danny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they're like, you're doing good, Danny, you know, in high school. And then now it's like, no, Tommy, you did good too. Yeah, um, kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I got to say, uh, Danny's ears look significantly better than, than Tommy's. Tommy's got the serious uh, cauliflower ear going on. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. You know, Tommy was wrestler with about five seconds of meeting him. Yeah. <laughs> well, that he just looks tough um too i mean obviously me knowing you you guys you, ment- mental toughness is obviously pretty high on the list when you meet the clums but uh yeah those boys are very tough and tommy's a really fine hunter in his own right don't get me wrong but danny's that special guy he's you know like uncanny the things he's done in his career um he's been more dedicated uh, tommy could probably done the same things if he spent the same amount of time doing it but it's yeah. pretty fun to see yeah, it's fun on an outside perspective looking in, you know, coming into the shop and, and you couldn't get Danny to say shit if he had a mouth full of no. it. Like I try to get him to, to, to more or less pimp himself out of his accomplishments. Oh, he um, do it. And he's a good storyteller. Yeah. I mean, you listen to some of the story, it cracks me up. I've heard the stories before, but yeah, uh, it's hard to get him to do that. We just need to get him to open up a little bit well then that, that's the thing i'm like danny you're not it's not bragging you're just telling a story you know what i mean and yeah, yeah. and uh i i don't think he wants the uh uh attention if I, I i is what i'm assuming or whatever he's a pretty humble guy he is is that much. mike falling down oh yeah it's it's sagging um let's uh frank you want to try and reposition that to where it's not falling but uh but yeah so when i when i got over there um i had kind of made uh uh, a decision to, um, you know, shoot traditional archery, um, overnight type of a thing, texted a bunch of buddies. And, you know, of course they said, all right, go see the, you know, the clums. And I'm, I'm super lucky that you guys are close. So I went over there and, um, it was, um, amazing to me. What's amazing to me is this mic won't stay up is what's amazing. It was amazing to me, um, how much more, I guess it was simpler than I thought it would be, but a bit more complex at the same time. And what do you normally do? Like, um, you know, when someone comes in and, uh, you know, is kind of, um, either transitioning from, um, compound to, uh, to recurve, we might have it <laughs> from compound to recurve or, or, or brand new. What are some of like key things you want those guys to do or try to focus or imprint on them right out of the gate? Okay. So, probably going to watch them shoot a few arrows and see where they're starting from. So like when you came in, you know, we were kind of interviewing each other. (laughs) (laughs) You were asking me questions about, you know, what I thought about this and that. And, and I was kind of asking you questions about the same thing. And I found, holy mackerel, this guy at the level you're shooting compound at is this is going to be easy in which it was. Um, Because at the high level, at the elite level, positions and movements for compound recurves are the same. So when we get into shot activation, a controlled movement through back tension, it's the same movement. Um, everything but except maybe, you know, of course the obvious things, we're putting a release on a string or a D loop instead of activating off our fingers. Um, we have a sight on a bow, probably do not with a recurve. But as far as stance, grip, position, body position, skeletal alignment, the you know, the direction and the muscles you use, it is the same. And so at with you shooting at a very high level of the compound, there wasn't a lot of base information I had to, to, had to go over. Um, with a new, brand new guy, it's it's a little different. We're going to teach him, you know, like uh, 
I have like an order I teach in. It's going to be like the most fundamental foundational things first. So I'm not going to teach them a, a shot cycle in order. We're not going to start with stance, then grip, then, you know, we're going to start with what's most important. So when I start a guy, I want to teach him about the holding position, the skeletal alignment, the place where they've drawn the bow to, to where they're going to do their aiming from. Uh, we get the skeletal structure aligned. Everything else gets easier. It's a mental and physical state. You have a big reduction, muscular tension, and a, a big easing and a reduction in anxiety in your mind. We go over that position first, and then we go over what back tension is all about. How do we get a linear movement for tension on the string? And, you know, the whole foundation is where it comes from. I want a guy to understand, you know, I want to drill deep with that guy so he understands why we're doing everything. And, and then after we got that foundational stuff, I'll describe the little things and I'm just throwing it all on the table for this guy. And it, you know, they're thinking, Oh, crammy, you know, I'm drinking from a high fire hose. And then it's like, I'm just telling them, don't worry, we're going to go over this stuff 30 times. And then we pick up a bow and it's going to be a really light bow. And then we start putting all those pieces that I threw on the table out of order. We start putting those pieces in order. And we're going to start right from the basics and we're going to perfect every position going from one to the next to the next. And then, you know, you give some repetition and all of a sudden a lot of that stuff start, starts getting imprinted as motor programs. And so they can turn more, more and more of it over to their subconscious, so reducing the number of things they have to think about. And I'm, I'm telling you, it doesn't take that long, especially with a blank slate, to develop a great shot. So, yeah, and I've seen you at uh, at work at your best, you know, because I'm always, as you've probably figured out, my ears are always open when people are talking around me, especially with traditional archery, when I don't, uh, you know, when you don't know what you're doing, or you know, just enough to get yourself in trouble watching someone who's a good coach like you, even at a, when you're coaching a beginner, it, it's ingraining things in my mind or helping me, you know, maybe refocus yeah refocus yeah. And, and and i gotta say as many questions as i get which honestly i pawn most of them off on uh you guys on on uh, online i'll send them to, to to you know to rocky mountain um i cannot stress how important it is for uh people to get a coach i think if i, I would have to say 99 out of 100 people if they don't have a coach or probably more than that are going to have a pretty tough road to hoe to shoot accurately, um, you know, with a stick bow, with longbow or uh, or recurve. And I, th a lot of it, when you watch, you, you know, when you watch Fred Bear, Howard Hill, or anybody paying attention to, uh, you know, the people, they snapshot, which I didn't know what a snapshot was, right? I, I just, I did what you told me. I, I didn't know what snap shooting was, but I didn't have... Um, I, you, if if someone you know, you, you, there's a reason you can't drive till you're 16, and you have to go to uh, get lessons, or you have to go to uh, driving school. It's the same as shooting. If you don't know where to start, the chances of you just by happenstance having correct form, not creating picking up bad habits, are zero to none. And so, getting a, a coach is, I, I can't I can't say enough about it. It, it catapulted me forward, um, you know, to to great success, and I. I again i cannot stress enough and what are i mean i obviously around here you are the guy in the state of colorado for coaching who are what are some other outlets would you like recommend for people getting into traditional archery to take a look at there's some other guys out there you know take rod jenkins or you know and one i like a lot is arnie mo uh I, he's put a lot of stuff on youtube 
And, you know, guys come to me all the time telling me what they saw on YouTube. And I've always warned them how treacherous that can be. And, you know, like, I don't know, years ago, I, I picked up a YouTube on Arnie Mo, And I've always pointed towards him. Uh, it was kind of cool. I got an email from him after I got my level four. He's like, Congr congrats. And he'd heard a podcast or something where I said I was the only guy at the Living Training Center that regularly shoots a an arrow off a fixed shelf. Everything, everybody else there is really normally shooting Olympic type type rigs. And he says, you know, when I got mine back in whatever the, the year was, I was the only guy there too. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I, I, I love his stuff because it's foundationally right on the money. Um, there's other guys out there. The problem in it's kind of puts me in a niche. that's kind of cool, but not that cool. I was looking for coaching for decades and it just wasn't to be had. You'd see these, pick up these books or videotapes, and it would show guys that basically taught themselves how to shoot and then wrote a book about it. And then one would do it this way, one would do it that way. And how do you sort that out? And basically, my generation, we taught ourselves to shoot. We found, and the ones that stayed in the sport found some process that we could kind of repeat and get halfway decent at, at repeating that process, no matter how funky it was, because that recurve is a simple thing. You shoot it in any way you want to. Pull it back and let it go, right? And you're just gonna, never going to really get long, uh, good at very long range. But we taught ourselves to shoot. And so there was probably only 20% of us that hung in there. Yeah. The retention of sport <laughs> was terrible. Um, and, you know, it just is a credit to a lot of these hunters out there that are getting well-known with recurve, just how good of hunters they were. Yeah. To, you know, to shoot like they shot, basically like I shot, and actually harvest a lot of game. Randy Cooling talked about that, um, uh, and Randy Randy was with us a bunch down at the, uh, you know, the the sheep show that, um, you know, just going through kind of like talking with you some of the trials and tribulations of shooting, a, you know, a stick bow over the last you know forty years or whatever. That um, you know, right now, uh, like like anybody in this new you know era. I've got it lucky because I have one, you guys right down the road, you've got podcasts, which some of them probably you shouldn't listen to. Um, you know, there's not, it's not always great information, but you've got a lot of outlets to learn from, especially if they're the, they're correct ones. Um, I know for, you know, for me, like, uh, I mean, well, Frank, you, you picked up one when I did. And now that was relatively short lived, but you, <laughs> what happened with, with you? Cause this kind of goes along the lines with hanging in there. What, what happened, Frank? Well, yeah, it was awesome going down to, to RMS gear and, um, Tom helped me out a bunch and, and Paul Cleland helped me out a bunch and, um, that helped expedite the process, I guess. But, um, I went down to, to Kansas and I, I missed a turkey at like 10 yards by like three feet to the right or something like that. And I was like, yeah, I don't know if this is the season for me to stick in with, with the stick bow. I love shooting the stick bow. We, one of the funnest things that we would do pretty often is go shoot stumps and that yeah. was a lot of fun, but, um, I kind of wanted to stack up a few <laughs> kills, not saying that you couldn't with the trad bow, for, but for me, it was at this point, I, I kind of wanted to stick with the compound and pretty normal. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I, I can tell you like from my, and I mean, I, I talk enough and people hear me talk shit enough, but the, what it made me was just a better hunter. Um, I couldn't, you know, walk through the woods like a buffoon and have an animal pop up at 70 and shoot it. I just, you can't do that. Um, <laughs> And in fact, I mean, you had told me so things, I mean, everything you said came true, but there was so much shit that you fed down my throat 
that as the season went on, I'm like, yeah, Tom told me that. <laughs> like every other day, I'm like, yeah, Tom said that would happen. Um, you said guaranteed you would kill a, uh, an animal on your second or third arrow without a doubt. <laughs> Hell, the first animal I shot was on my second arrow, the first one I killed. I almost shot its <laughs> foot off on the first arrow. Um, you know, there was just so many different things, but it it, it makes you – uh, you have to be patient. You have, you, you are, you know, by the pro by the product of what's in your hand, you are going to see more animal behavior because you are going to be forced to sit and watch where before I, I didn't have to do that. I could, I would just shoot it. Um, and, 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 you know, people go, and you told me multiple times, you don't really care for, I wouldn't say care for, you would much rather hear a story about someone shooting one, at 13 yards instead of 113, you, you get excited about oh, yeah. those type of stories. And, and, and as you know, with me, I've shot animals at that distance or, or farther. Um, and it is to the point now, especially since I'm not that good of a trophy hunter, um, it is just more exciting. There is a lot more of a, um, well, I did a podcast with trad geeks. I am looking forward to trying to share what, you know, I felt without Frank Cohn starting making jokes at me, what it made me feel like or how I felt shooting a trad, but how much different it was taking an animal with a recurve than it was with a compound for me. Now, rewind, maybe it was different, but I I know for a fact when I shot that elk with Brian, I'd, I'd never had those same type of feelings as I had shooting one with a compound. And I've shot a pile of elk oh, with yeah. a compound. Um, so it's, I think when, when people get it, uh, when I say get it, meaning how to shoot and they start really buckling down, I, I think if you, or if you transfer over the first thing you're going to notice is patience, you're going to become, well, you're either not going to kill shit or you're going to become patient. I I would say, um, the next thing you're going to notice too, is animal behavior. You will, (laughs) because you're forced to watch so much because they're out of range, waiting for them to come into range or figuring out a way to get close, you're going to see more animal behavior. Um, And I I don't know if you agree with this, but for me, I don't have a problem getting close. Hitting the damn thing is a different story. Would you say most uh, traditional archers would agree with the fact that, you know, it's not hard to get within 25 yards. Uh, Hitting them would be the, the more of the problem than getting close. At first, it's hard to get to 25 yards. And then once you kind of develop the skills to do that, yeah. <laughs> then put one in the boiler room. Yeah. <laughs> That's think, a whole other skill set. I think one of the hardest things for me to, to remember was picking a spot. I remember you, you and Paul had, had always told me, pick a spot, don't just look at the animal. And I think that was half of my problem with the turkey. I was like, oh, shit, a turkey in 10 <laughs> yards? Because we weren't in a blind or anything. We, it was the first first morning and turkey came right down the hedgerow and... Yeah. I saw a turkey at ten years. I'm like, I'm sending it, <laughs> but I, I didn't. I didn't pick a spot on the turkey to shoot Super at. I shot common. at the turkey. Super common. You know, we don't have a pin out there. If you're a point of aim shooter with a recurve mm-hmm. or a longbow, you've got the arrow to remind you. Yeah, I've got to aim. If you've got a pin or a set of pins out there, you have something to remind you. Yeah, I've got to aim. Well, if you're instinctive aiming or looking at a spot, that is an aiming method, and you have to use it. Mm-hmm. And it. And sometimes you're looking at the animal, especially when they're close. It's, oh, this is a layup. This is in the freezer. And you literally forget to 
aim. And that's what I thought. I thought it was a layup. And Dan's like, that thing was 10 yards away. I go back to his house. Everyone's making fun of me. You missed a turkey at 10 yards. I'm like, good Lord. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I had, uh, I struck out like full three swing and a miss opening day. And you had just brought this up the other day, your hypothesis, which you're accurate, why I miss knowing the way that I aim and, and things that I do. And, and I, I will say like, that is a very good example with a compound. The deer came out at 48 yards. Done. See, that's the end of the story right there. I would have yeah. killed it. Where with this, I'm like, okay, that's a par two. I got to get closer. No wind. And it's an aspen that was thinned out aspen, you know, Colorado grass. I mean, you couldn't have drawn cooler shit. And <laughs> and this was only, you know, that one I shot in the burn with you, about the same size deer. So at 140 buck, I'll shoot that every that's a nice all, buck. All day, yeah. every day with a recurve. So I'm like, okay, Snyder, slow. So I'm like, take a step every 15 seconds or less. So in the course of the next 10 minutes, it starts walking to me. And I'm like, you are so, you're going to die. You, oh, yep, this is done. I've been shooting, I mean, Frank's saying 50, 60 yards in a pie plate. Well, so that doesn't matter. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I've seen it a lot. <laughs> I, I, whoosh. Right over its back. And I'm like, huh. At how far? I don't know, 23. I don't know. 17. Close. Yeah. I mean, super close. And, and you made the mistake of looking at well, your point. Uh, yeah. I think I got confused between my, you know, looking back, because at first I'm like, oh, it ducked the string or it did this. And, and and maybe it did duck some, but the real the thing was it had no idea I was there. Um, and I shoot point, um, I, I shoot instinctive tell. I don't know, roughly around 30, 32. Yeah, and you're good at it. And, and then I'll shoot up my point. My point on is about 40. I'll use my point, kind of a variation, I guess, which is probably dumb. Um, yeah. What well, turned out to be on this, I got all jacked up on this one, and I just whiffed it. But the deer, as you had said, they generally don't know what's going on. It heard a bird fly by. It kind of bounded a little bit and looked around, and I'm like, okay, I missed the bear the first shot. You're going to die. Wrong, wrong, <laughs> missed it again. And then the third arrow, I don't really know what happened because I was, you know, had shit running down both legs trying to figure out what was going on and I missed it again. <laughs> um, and, and, and I think though, but for, for me, the one thing that that told me is it is, I mean, even though it wasn't, you know, it's a three and a half year old deer, it's not like the smartest deer in the, on the world, but in the world, but what it told me was is one, if you don't do anything stupid and they don't know you're there, they're not just going to automatically run away, right? You got to, yeah. as simple as that sounds. But A lot of times you get another chance, yeah. And and, and sneaking in like that was something I'd never had to do. Now, that's I mean, fun too, isn't it? It's adrenaline. Damn fun. Uh, oh, yeah. And, um, and, and, and again, I'm not trying to go over my whole season for, for the sake of telling stories, the learning experience from it. You kind of got to lick your wounds and, you know, suck it up and- you know, reassess maybe quickly. Lucky I'm pretty good at, you know, shuffling stuff off my shoulders. And you, I think you were hunting because I didn't, I don't think I called you. Usually I would call, you know, the sensei and say, hey, what, what the flip did I just do? Right. But uh, I, um, I think like w with that, you know, that was a big learning experience for me because one, I got, I, you know, get close, whatever. It was super cool. Uh, two, uh, foam doesn't move and you don't get pumped up on foam. And, and with a compound, I didn't really ever get that, those feelings of adrenaline where with a stick bow, there was some shit going on. I wasn't used to, I mean, just flat out. I mean, I don't get that with a compound. Uh, like truly I don't get overly excited where, 
you know, it's a 140 inch deer. It wasn't like, you know, shooting at a, a 240 giant and I still had shit running down both legs. My hand was shaking. I, I managed to hold it together, but not well enough to kill it. Um, how, how many times do you think that happened to you through the years before you really got the hang of it where, you know, you, you had to swing and a miss and we're standing there kind of wondering what the hell just happened. Oh, it happened a lot. And <clears throat> it's weird, but that stuff still comes and goes for me, man. I can, I can, the, the bull I killed in 2014, man, I was completely in my mind, cool hand Luke. And then I've had a doe come by, a little white-tailed doe, and, like, be freaking out. I, I just <laughs> by the way, I think it's noteworthy. How big was that bull? Because <laughs> it's a tank. It was about it, at three, right at 350. Yeah, yeah, big bull. Yeah, it was so a really it, nice one. Let's hear I Just because I like hearing it. I've heard about 10 times. I want to hear it 11. Let's hear that, what happened. Uh, it was pretty amazing. Like the hunting story? Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, Danny spent a lot of time, Tommy spent a lot of time on the spotting scopes that summer. We're hunting, you know, really high stuff, you know, above timberline. He's watching, he was watching some magnificent bulls that summer and over down behind in a different set of drainages, he was watching this herd of about 30 cows. Well, and so it just kept track of them all summer. And, uh, so we've got a pretty good group, I, you know, my nephew Chad and a couple buddies from, you know, buddy from Nebraska and you know, our normal hunting crew, they backpack into this deeper area. And I was planning on going with my wife in some areas where we backpacked into and, you know, when we were both a lot younger and slimmer and more fit and <laughs> we're basically, we taught our sons to backpack. And uh, so we decided to go into there, but Tommy and my nephew, Danny, covered the store uh, went up that like Thursday, we were watching those to watch those elk and this big bull joined those 30 cows that, that Danny had been walk, watching all summer. And what they watched on Friday morning, day before the season was this giant bull acting like full red activity, full opening morning. He's bugling, he's gathering cows, there's satellites, he's chasing them off the whole deal. And then Right about nine, this guy kind of gathers them up and they go over a saddle right at Timberline, right at nine o'clock, right at nine o'clock. And so I get a message to shop, don't, don't leave, you know, don't, don't hit the trail before you talk to me. So we get together and Tommy gets a map out and he points this saddle like, dad, right at nine o'clock, this is right, right where they came over and yada, yada. And I'm like, okay, I got my plan for opening morning. So Friday afternoon, packed up in there, stayed a mile up mile and a half off of that saddle in a different drainage and got up super early, got over there, was in that saddle by seven. And, uh, I just found, you know, where I could watch that thing, watch for this elk herd to come over and we're watching all morning. I've got the perfect little lookout and I'm just not seeing them. And so I'm looking at my watch. It's about nine o'clock. And I say to my wife, let's get right down there in the funnel, like right down there. They could get by us right through that saddle, through the stunted pines right in the bottom. And so we start sneaking down there and we're going down there. And all of a sudden I see a cow go by. I was like, oh, yeah, because I went up there with kind of no plan, but like offhand plan. My ideal thing would be to get in front of that herd, let the cows go by and shoot the bull. Or if they got into their beds or something else, get up right to the edge of them and bugle at him and make him, you know, make him chase me out of there, you know, just pick a fight with him. And 
And uh, it's kind of my generalized plan. I was just going to see how it happened. So I see a cow and then all of a sudden a cow calf. And I was like, you got to be kidding. 75 yards in front of me. This could happen like far out. So we kind of go a little faster down there and I get this little elevated thing, like five yards higher than this little, uh, little flat spot that they were crossing through. And I got to right where about five yards from where I seen the closest cow go across and maybe 25 yards from the furthest one and another cow cow calf cow goes by and i was like this is awesome this is going to work and so i'm getting an arrow knock and i shuffle right between these two little you know young pine trees and man i just looking at the, my bottom limb and i'm looking at the top and i kind of get my elbow behind me just checking to see if i can draw when there's no elk passing by me and i look over and i see these freaking giant antlers coming over the stunted pines it's like oh you know like murphy's sleeping because yeah. something should have screwed up right now right <laughs> and so i see these giant antlers coming and and so i just get ready and, and i got my face painted up my wife sitting on the ground about five yards behind me and off to the side she's just gonna hide and not screwed up you know and all of a sudden I look back and that thing took a left turn and it pops out like five yards from me. It's like, you got to be kidding me. And so I glance at his antlers like, oh yeah, that's the freaking big guy. And, and I've kind of got my bow up and I was like, crap, I'm going to have to let him walk by and shoot him quarter away. And like, this is too easy. Everything is just falling into place. And he gets right in front of me, like five yards in front of me and turns and walks directly away from me. And it's like, Okay, Murphy finally woke up, you know. And so I'm just, my mind's just going into hyperspeed, like what to do. And I, I decided that I've got to make this bull turn around and to see what the heck's behind him. So I went to full draw and I got into holding it, you know, in that spot where you can sit there for a little bit. And he's walking away and I'm, and then in my, I'm inventorying what noise to make. And I'm like, should I chirp? You know, he's got cows chirping all around him. And should I bark? Nah, it's kind of alarming. He'll probably just stop or, and I thought, I'm going to make this weird sound that isn't too alarming. And just hopefully he'll turn around and look. And so I just made this like womanly up and down little hype as like, much as my voice. Will, like that? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's just weird. I can't even re reproduce it because my nuts aren't up in my yeah. stomach <laughs> yeah, right exactly. now. You don't have <laughs> shit running down both exactly. legs. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, I'll be darned. That sucker stops and he turns his body all the way halfway around to see what the heck was behind him. And I was sitting there at full draw, so, man, I just looked the spot right over his heart and let it rip, you know. And he, and he, I didn't see the arrow, but when he'd take his first jump, I see just like seven inches of my arrow sticking out right on a heart shot, man. And I see the arrow break as his front leg comes back, and bam, he goes right through a stun of pine, and off he goes. Yeah, looked at my wife and I said, I just shot that big bull right in the heart. <laughs> and I just got to kind of sit down. I'm like rubbery legged. And then these other elk keep coming by. And I'm like, darling, you get down there. You know, you, <laughs> let's you do them up yeah. here. You know? mm -hmm. So she gets down there and, and I'm getting impatient and I start walking to her. And then a little bull pulsed out, you know, one of those satellites was following yeah. her. And it's like, ah, oh, sorry, babe. You know, yeah. we sat there for another 10 and it was done, you know, so. It, it it was amazing. What was weird about that bull is that I shot him kind of like above the elbow, about four inches, but a little bit into the front quarter. And it was a hard shot. It was a dead nuts hard shot. But where it entered his body was through that muscle and not through the chest wall. Mm -hmm. So he didn't put any blood on the ground. Yeah. And like, this is weird. I said, we're going to go up there. There's going to be blood everywhere. That, that bull's going to be within 75 yards. And 
all of a sudden there's no blood. Yeah. And, and it's just weird as hell. And, and, but I know where I hit him. So we're looking around and we're, I'm not finding anything, you know, I'm finding a little speck here and there and I started doing search and then it's, you know, and it's getting later and later. And we had a plan to call the boys at noon because there were a few drainages over really far away. And so let's go up and call the boys. And I hiked up the top of the saddle and I tried them and real static. He got them. Hey dad, what's going on? I said, I shot, a, I shot that big bull. And like, where'd you hit him? I said, man, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a hard shot, but I can't find blood. And of course they're being suspect of dad now, like yeah, hard shot, I can't <laughs> find blood. Do you need us to come dad? And I know they're a long ways off, you know? So, and I was like, ah, man, I hate to have you, you know, for this bull. Yeah. We're on our way. Those boys started walking. Anyways, five hours later, five hours straight hike. And I don't know how many thousand feet up and down they went, you know, or how many miles that was. But five hours later, in which time, four and a half of that, I'd searched that mountain in the direction those elk went. And Chris and I are like laying down, just resting. We were up and down that mountain four and a half hours yeah. looking for this bull, which I know is dead. Danny walks up and was like, Dad, you sure you didn't like hit and, you know, run down the rim? Like, buddy, I know what I saw. Yeah. Let me show you what I got. And and Tommy, after this five hours, immediately like throws up. <laughs> <laughs> he is exerted, dehydrated. Yeah. And Danny's like, Yeah, show me what you got, Dad. Yeah. And Tommy says, Don't worry, Dad. Blood bloodhounds here. You know, he was like totally confident his younger brother was going to like, okay, this is what I got. And he's looking around and we're looking at direction of travel and all this. And he, he looks over the opposite way and he sees this tuft in the pine needles. He goes, oh, how about that? I'm going to go check that. I said, yep, I saw that, checked it out, been around the corner. Yep. Well, I'm going to go look. I said, great, you know, I'm not going to get his way. So he goes up to that spot, walks about five yards further and goes, hey, there's blood here. I'm like. <laughs> You got to shit me. <laughs> and so I'm fairly colorblind, but Danny is not. You know, he can see a speck at like 30 yards, you yeah. know. And he goes, where's that? And usually I can see blood if I put my glasses on and get a foot from it. But it was on a moss rock. Mm -hmm. And I put my glasses on. I got a foot away from it. And I could not see a speck of blood on this moss rock. Yeah. And he had seen it walking past it. <laughs> so I'm sitting there like flabbergasted. And he walks another 20 yards around a corner. He goes, here's your elk, Dad. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, Was he laughing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I've had my chops busted a lot over this, which I deserve, right? Because I looked four and a half hours for a bull. It took Danny five minutes to find. Yeah. Right? And, you know, it was weird. So it, it turned into a grid search back in the direction of travel up and down this mountain. And I had walked within 20 yards of this thing twice. Yeah. But it it was instead of following the cows on a downward angle across this mountain, it cut back up the drainage. We, and we just and talked died. about this earlier. In. Yeah. They do go uphill when they're mortally hit. Oh, all the time. <laughs> all, all the time. Yeah. And the thing was, he was within 75 yards, but he just didn't put a lot of blood down. And mm -hmm. you know what? If I wouldn't have seen where that arrow hit, I'd have assumed that I nicked something. You know, it just shows you how much you have. This is a big lesson. It shows you how much you have to follow up every damn shot. Yeah. Because who would guess that a dead nuts heart shot would put a few drops of blood on the ground? Yeah. I would never have guessed that. But now I know how it can happen. Yeah. And I, I had it happen once, same thing. And it it was like where the body was positioned when the arrow went in to where the body positioned naturally. Uh -huh. And all that 
got covered up. Covers up, yeah. yeah. And, you know, and that was with a relatively big broadhead with a compound and same thing, heart shot. I mean, luckily for me, we were 12,000 feet and you could still see it, not a drop of blood for 75 yards. And you think about it, if that's in timber, that's a problem. I mean, you're going to have yeah. to look. So, well, and, and, and that bull, I was going to say, I've seen it, that it's around 350. Is that your biggest bull? Oh, yeah. And yeah. But you've shot... And quite what a, a nice one. I shot one other really nice one about a mile from this and then just the drainage over. Yeah. Um, For a stick bow guy, you've shot, I mean, I hate to say that, but you've shot a pile of elk with a recurve. Um, not like some, but yeah, I've gotten a few. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, you're, by the way, everybody, the clums are extremely modest. Um, the, I mean, as far as total time on the mountains, elk on the ground, between you, Danny, Tommy, your family, you guys, pretty much got her figured out when it comes yeah, to, to yeah, elk got, yeah those boys are getting pretty darn reliable killing elk i don't know how danny's got a whole bunch of, in a row i mean he's missed a year here like maybe here but like uh, he told me the other day i don't remember but it was a whole bunch bunch of years in a row that he's yeah. killed elk yeah well, he shot a big bull five years ago <sighs> real about, big bull about that yeah he killed one was like 363 yeah. in a year i got that one in 14 he killed another one that was like 343 i mean he's gotten a couple dandies yeah yeah, yeah. no he's killed some he's killed some good bulls and then um, and those were with recurves i mean he had one this year and he probably wouldn't want to say it but you know this thing is like 390 400 yeah. class he told me about he got it, a yeah. deflection yeah that he couldn't see with the compound so he hates the compound i'll just say that he has told me on multiple occasions i am far because he's got bad shoulders so yep. he, he has so to shoot h, a compound. h surgeries on shoulders from wrestling yeah. and, and, and what his thing is with uh harold Fahrenberg, same thing the they can see what they want to see with the recurve or the the traditional bow um, right. Where they got too much shit in the way with the compound. Yeah, you so see, I, you you visualize the trajectory path with the compound. You just can't do that. Yeah, no, and and it makes sense. And I mean, I say that it's not like I, I mean, I had to do that with the bull that I killed because um, it got so close. I'm looking through the branches trying to figure it out. Where I, I mean, it's true. With and you the, knew you could shoot right through it, right? Oh, I did. Yeah. Um, where with the compound, I I wouldn't have known. Well, I say that I've shot enough where I probably would have. But your arrow is leaving below your eyesight. Um, so let's say if you shoot something at 10 feet, you'd shoot it for whatever, 70 yard, your 70 yard pin with a, so branches that are right in front of you, it's unique with the compound and you're looking through a site. You're not, you're not seeing the big picture, if that makes any sense, yeah. where you are with a, a recurve or a longbow. As I say that, I haven't hardly shot a longbow at all, but same principle. So what, uh, just cause I get this question a ton, what would you be your, uh, cause I pretty, obviously I'm. I listened to pretty much exactly what you said as far as my arrow setup. I think people were surprised. You set me up the first go round with a 48 pound, uh, 48 at 28. So I was pulling 53 probably total mm -hmm. shooting like a 500 and I think 70 grain, 580 grain arrow mm -hmm. hammer, two, yeah. 250 grains up front. Um, what your? I mean, when you shot that big bull, I, I was shooting, I was shooting your bow initially. I bought your bow from you, yeah. your, your Palmer. Yeah. Um, and I think from what I've talked to some guys, maybe they're at a, um, a falsehood that they need to shoot 65, 70 pounds, oh, you know, yeah. super high poundage. I was no super surprised. I blew not through everything, every, everything but my elk, I pretty much blew through or did some major damage. And you went through some bones too, didn't you? Yeah, I did. In fact, the, the bull, um, which, um, thank God Frank and Dave came and helped us back out, uh, you, did you come up for that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah, because we got lost coming out. 
Never trust Eggman with a we went GPS, a, by the way. A beehive. That's we, I, I did the same thing on mine. We we hiked out. We left our camps in there. Everybody left their camps in there. We got like Dave Ziggy and Paul Gussie to come help us and we went back up there with a bunch of folks to pack that out. And uh, we didn't get to the truck till one o'clock in the morning that night because we went straight out. And that's where Tommy found out how tough his mother was, you know, because he, he left early. Danny and I stayed back to bone the elk out yeah. and get it bagged. And uh, Tommy started right up, up to where our truck was. And so, you know, we we didn't start out till it was dark. Danny and I got done right at dark and got to the truck at one. And I threw up. Everybody threw up but Danny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a tough day. That, yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Cool day. I've, I've had Love that, that day. happen myself. Oh, yeah. yeah. Those are the days you remember for oh, sure. Oh, yeah. But you're shooting. Talk about your setup because, I mean, that's so, I mean, everybody's a gear junkie, including sure. traditional archers. Yeah. What's your – well, I say your – what are your three, let's say, top top three bows? Um, and then what are your, like, preferred setups as far as arrows and broadheads go? You know, weight, type, all that. Yeah. So, you know, I like 200 grains up front at least. I, you know, this year I changed to 250 up front because I had a cow moose tag and I wanted a little more umph. By the way, um, he did get his cow moose. I did. Yeah. <laughs> and that thing was still, absolutely still within 15 seconds. Yeah. That's yeah, cool. It was very cool. Um, but, uh, yeah, I like at least 200 grains up front. And I shoot between 535 and 570 grains, depending on which bow and which arrow setup I've used. Um, I, you know, you, you hear a lot of advice from some of these guys. You like, you need Aspie study stuff. It's like, you need 620 grains and over 20% weight forward and stuff. And, you know, I got guys coming in and they have to have that set up and they've got a, you know, 27 inch draw and, you know, their effective range is going to be about 12 yards. Fart an arrow faster than it'll shoot. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, man, guys, you know, in the old days, we didn't know any of this stuff. And I killed a bunch of elk with wood arrows that weighed 400 or 490 or 500 grains with 125 grain bare razor head up front. And I always got two lungs. Like yeah. always, even if I hit ribs, you know, I didn't shoot through them like I do nowadays. And maybe on a more questionable shot, you know, because all the arguments over a, a bad hit, you yeah. know, a questionable shot. Same with a compound. Yeah. yeah. it's That's where the, all the argument of broadhead style and everything else goes. Um, but I killed them all. I never had an arrow bounce out. Yeah. You know, so, you know, for recurve stuff, I like that minimum area of around 500 grains. I'd love to you to get weight for That does make an impact. When I went from shooting 150 grain setups to 200 grains, and I killed a moose with a 150 grain setup, don't get me wrong. But when I put a 200 grainer on that same arrow, shortened the arrow a little bit, and netted out about an extra 40 grains, but all that was right up in front, I started shooting through things like I had never done before and bony stuff. Yeah. So weight forward is a giant factor. And, and you, as you know, and a lot of compound guys are catching up to that. Well, I and I've been not. I, I mean, as you shot heavier a long time. Yeah, for, preached to Frank was, don't worry about speed as much. Which you, you pretty much don't give a shit about speed now. No, not anymore. Yeah, but I mean, the thing that I found, and this is after every epic, colossal f f up you could possibly make, meaning shooting beam and tree bark four hundreds with a seventy five grain broadhead, uh, dry fire in the bow was later on shooting and shooting 312 15 18 feet per second that a 272 uh foot per second bow that's quiet the deer mm -hmm. or elk move a hell of a lot less because your bow isn't as loud and then two 
especially with a heavy point weight, um, you got a lot more momentum. Kinetic energy was this huge thing when I, you know, years ago, like everybody talked about KE, which in my opinion doesn't really mean shit. Momentum is the big key. Yeah, if you want to look at a number, yeah, look at momentum. Because the stuff I was killing everything, including moose with back in the day, were under the numbers KE, numbers that they said could kill anything. Yeah, yeah. But you had, yeah, you had good momentum. You were shooting through everything. Yeah. And, and I think that um, I, I was going from my compound setup, which is, you know, 85 plus pounds with a 570 plus uh, air, like total, like alpha male overachiever, dumb setup. Like, how much do you need to penetrate into the ground after it goes through the animal compared to which you've learned? I'm very obedient, like, to what if I don't know what I'm doing to what someone says, you were like, this is enough, this is plenty. And so, accuracy was like pivotal for me with the recurve and I could not shoot 60 pounds for shit. I just couldn't do it. I got fatigued. I'd start collapsing really bad. And so 54, 55 was good. I mean, that was enough. And it's not like I had any experience. I was listening to you tell me that it was fine. And then I zipped through that bear and couldn't find the arrow. We had to search for it after. And I, I hit one rib um, on one side, you split the gap on the other, but went, you know, zipped through it. So then still not a lot of experience, right? I'm just listening to what, you know, people have killed a bunch are telling me, but I'm like, ah, whatever, went through it. And, uh, and I actually, so I was shooting, I had two broadheads in my quiver for the, for the bear. I had your guys's cutthroat and then I had a, uh, tree shark, which uh, with a huge cutting diameter, which figured was uh, smart for bear for opening up a hole. Uh, mm -hmm. well, I almost shot its foot off with the first shot with a tree shark, which my next arrow was a cutthroat. So just because where my arrows lie, that's what I killed it with. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, okay, well, the little cutting diameter broadhead killed it just as fast as a big one. It still didn't go very far. So then I went on to, well, I went on to wounding an elk is what I went on to. And, and we didn't find that. So I went on to a deer with Frank and I actually changed broadheads 12 yards from the changed arrows because I was getting so close. I'm like, I'm not sure where this arrow is going to have to go through but it may not be good. I need to get a penetrating broadhead. So I put the cutthroat on because I ended up shooting it, you know, straight down. And again, at that close, it doesn't really matter. I mean, pitch super penetration because it's only about five feet away. But I'm like, okay, obviously 60, 70 pounds is not needed with a, a recurve. Yeah. And then the yeah. true telltale sign was with Brian on the elk. I shot it, uh, which I've got a lot of shit for, but I shot it on a front a little about 12 yards and I shot a little high and it went between the vertebrae, but it buried that broad head. We should go up and get that. Um, three quarters of an inch into, or three quarters of the length of the broad head nice. into the vertebrae. And I was like, whew, man, this uh, momentum thing is, I mean, I, I, my arrow is only going 180 feet per second, right? I, I'm learning every day and I'm thinking, wow, okay, that put that elk down. And <laughs> so to me now, I don't even entertain shooting anything above 55, 56, 57 pounds. I'm not saying you shouldn't, but my accuracy is highest at that, that wheelhouse. Yes. And, you know, for, for arrows, what do you, well, what do you shoot for arrows or what are like maybe two or three you suggest to most people? Oh, like, uh, okay. I'll give three different brands like the Carbon Express Heritage. Um, those things, whether it's a, uh, you know, like a, 500, 400, 340 deflection, which is the Heritage 150, 250, 350. Those things are 10, 11, or 12 grains an inch. Very tough arrow, great trad arrow. Uh, I've shot the uh, 
the Beeman center shots, that that was a lot lighter per you know grains per inch, more in that nine area. It ended up with a 200 grain head about 535. And I shot the Black Eagle vintage, and that ended up same 535 area. Uh, for moose, I wanted to go like I wanted to try narrow diameter. I went to the Pierce Platinum, you know, and it's got between an insert and outsert, it's like 43 grains. And I shot a 250 off of that, like full length 400. That landed at 565 grains, but way bunch of weight forward. And so, and I've killed elk and and with all those setups, and, and I've killed uh, moose with uh, a couple of her- different moose with heritage arrows, and I killed this one last year with this. Pierce Platinum. And, you know, I never did really look at the ribs on the near side parked on the shoulder blade on the far side, but it was just right over the heart. So it was really quick. Right. Um, so, I mean, any of those setups that have trust in. And I shoot in the low 50s, basically. But my bows, because I shoot different bows and I, I love bows and I'm, I'm kind of a bow ho. <laughs> and, and so my bows end up in the low to mid 50, you know, 50. 50 to 54 pounds is usually where I'm, my wheelhouse is. Right. At and I, I, 28 and a half inches, whereas you're shooting closer to what, 30? 30, just under 30. Yeah. yeah. I, I've, I've, I've shrunk a bit now from shooting a compound too much. Remember how I, my drawing kept lengthening as I yes, was dropping as you my shoulder? Yeah, getting in better positions. Yeah. I, I, I started at 28 and a half, went to 30 within the first month. Um, in fact, you were commenting on some photos when I first started of all the yeah. goofy shit I had going on. And then, uh, so I would guess I'll probably expand a little bit more as I'm, I'm starting to drop my shoulder. I've always shot a high shoulder with a compound. Same, same problem with a, the recurve, but I, I know one of the things that, um, obviously I have the, the gift of you guys being right down the road that you kept saying is one of these bows will sing to you. One oh, of yeah. them is going to talk to you. Yeah. Um, and it was the Palmer was the first one, you know, I shot that, that was after shooting a lot of different bows too. Yeah. Probably 20, 30 different bows that Palmer shot super, super well for me. And then the Buffalo, which makes sense. Cause I think the guy that, um, you know, owns Palmer helped design yeah. the, the yeah. Buffalo. Uh, so, I mean, that feel of that one. And, and right now, um, I've been kind of screwing around with like three different bows and, uh, that Rampart, which there's a huge history behind, you know, Rampart. And then you guys, after the owner passing away, kind of passed it on to you and your sons. Uh Um, I've been shooting that one, you know, really well. And I've been screwing around with a bunch of different ones because I want to shoot, you know, what I want to shoot. You know what I mean? Like I, I've got all these different, uh, you know, setups and that, uh, that that rampart the biggest thing for me is the way that that buddy had had formed the grip is super mm-hmm. repeatable for me um and then and not only that it's it draws super smooth and i've got good speed arrow wise i'm in a bit of a conundrum people are constantly asking me what's my setup and i've got right now it's between axis um the center shots and then i talked with uh brent from valkyrie yesterday about shooting some micro diameter stuff with um you know super weight forward on it so i'm just gonna grab you and screw around with it and see what mm-hmm. the hell we end up with yeah um yeah. but i shot an entire chicken wing on the end of my uh well i <laughs> I, I i always say chicken wing because i get crap because when i first started out we did a podcast and i didn't know what the hell kind of feather i had and I said, I don't know. I think these ones are like fake. They're like chicken wings or something. I will never hear the end of the chicken wing. My fiasco. wife even wanted to bust your chops about that. Oh, yeah. Well, fully. Just, <laughs> Grandma well, Plum was going to give you a little raspberries about that. I just did a podcast with somebody and was truthful with them. I don't even think I'd know today if I hadn't said chicken wing in the beginning. 
the way that I, I just do what you tell me. Feathers, feathers. Yeah. It, yeah, it's a feather. And I wouldn't have, I mean, I, I remember you talking about like there's, um, you know, from a wild turkey, they're more waterproof or they're more, yeah, you big, know, less susceptible. oil vein in them. Yeah. And so for, in my mind, I'm like, well, these other ones must be from, from another bird or something. And, and how uh, would you know if, if nobody told you, you didn't read about it? How would oh, you I, know? I don't know, but I know now I, sh- I said yeah. chicken wing. I, I, I get messages to this day about chicken feathers. Um, <laughs> Which I, I mean, I fully deserved. I'd be making fun of me too, but I I don't think I needed the five inch, uh, you know, helical. I, I I don't think I needed that much on there. So I mean, I think we were just talking about it. Four inch parabolics is what you've shot for quite some time. Just three well, four on the, inch on the micro diameter. When I got to a bunch weight forward, I dropped down to those four inches. But four I've always shot five yeah. five inch three three five inch feathers too. Gotcha. What? Everybody had said the drag long distance was a big deal, but I'm thinking, hell, I can't shoot long distance with this thing, so it's kind of a moot yeah, point. With well, a heavy arrow, it's not that big a difference. If a guy's shooting a target rig, yeah, he's going to get a big slow. He's going to see a big slowdown. Yeah, but on a on a hunting arrow, you just don't see that much. And I always, you know, when we talk about staring a broadhead, I kind of like to err on a little more the side of a little more feather. Yeah, a little yeah, more stabilization. Yeah. Well, and I, I again was just doing what you had told me, and it made perfect sense to me from a compound perspective too. Is I fought shooting one one and three quarter two inch veins forever, trying to get fixed blade broadheads to tune. And the moment I went back to a three inch, um, you know, feather or vein, it worked. Simplified a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tuning was much easier. So, <laughs> and it's weird when you're used to looking at a vein, mm-hmm. a five inch feather looks like, like you said, a half a chicken's on the end of your. Arrow. It makes it makes for a good photo. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> takes a lot of glue to get them bastards. To- yeah. And I used to look at four inches like, man, those are tiny little feathers, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's just what kind of you, what you get used to. Oh yeah, for, for sure. Um, but what, what are some of the other, like, uh, would you say like key, um, you know, not as much form cause you, you, you've done podcasts with what, uh, most of the push, the I, push? I'm kind of, uh, partnered with the guys at the push, great guys, uh, Tim Neville and, and Matt Cernzak, mm-hmm. uh, super geeked out about traditional archery, the app, their love and passion for it is, is like ours, you know, yeah. and they're, and they're good dudes. Yeah. They seem good. I don't know. I mean, I think they get along with me. All right. I did a podcast with them quite some time ago and they seem like good guys. Oh, they admire you a lot. Yeah. I stirred up a lot of shit is the problem. When I, when I got done shooting the season with the, uh, the recurve, I kind of did a, a, a recap of it, which caused like an epic crisis in the traditional community from a few comments I'd made, which whatever, right? I, I, it bugs me. I, I, no need for that. Well, I, I think what people misunderstood what I was trying to say, which was basically, I think, and I still do, if you go to, uh, you're successful with a compound, like truly successful, and you switch to a recurve, you need to accept the fact that first year, you're probably going to miss and wound more things than you're used to. It doesn't have anything to do with the weapon. Uh, well, I mean, it does, but I mean, it has to do with the fact that if you went from a rifle to a compound, same thing. You go from a compound to a recurve or a, a longbow, there's a good chance that you didn't pick up as much. You say it takes three years to reach your potential. Yeah, with steady shooting and coaching, three years to reach your potential. I was blown away what you did in nine months. And I, I think, and you brought it up several times. You're like, you know, a lot of the things that happen with you are are normal, and you're, you know, you'll pick these things up. You'll learn, like the whitetail. I grunted at it at 18 yards to stop it. Would have done that any time with the compound. Well, I alerted it, let the arrow go when he loaded to, to take off where the happy home was turned into a leg bone, hit him in the leg. I should have shot him walking because he wasn't walking. I mean, he wasn't walking really. He's taking step by step. Yeah, um, really slow. You could have 
put one in the boiler room easy probably, right? Yeah. Learn, well, yeah. I should have. <laughs> Instead, no, I, and it's a feeling out process. When you when anybody starts with a compound, it's the same story. Yeah. They have missing wounds. Yep. You know, they don't know their limits yet. They don't know their limits under pressure yet. Uh, same with a rifle hunter. You know, and there's guys that just don't care. We care. Yeah. We care that we wound something. There are guys with a rifle that are shooting across canyons. There's guys with a compound shooting past their limits. There's guys with recruit. It's just the nature of guys. Yeah. Some of them just don't give a flip. And they'll just, if, well, if it ain't there, it ain't dying, you know? Yeah. And yeah. and people who are responsible and ethical about that, yeah, you're going to make some mistakes because you haven't found your limits with that weapon yet. And and I don't care what if it's a compound or recruit. It's going to be the same dang thing. Yeah. Well, I, and I agree. And I think my biggest thing was – I, I, I did go to, um, it, it was a, a, one of the things I learned first was, I mean, I'm not afraid to shoot at 40 yards, but You're I are a good shot at 40 yards of the recurve. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel it's my point on, so that helps yeah. a lot, but what I did learn and the, the bear was a good example. And, and I'm only talking about this so people understand with the bear, for example, I was at 40 forever from it. I didn't feel comfortable. And so I just didn't shoot because it just wasn't a shot that I felt comfortable with taking. The mule deer, completely different story. It was at 40 yards, bedded, no idea I was there. And I had another three months on me of of experience and Mm -hmm. I felt a lot better about it. Um, I will say, though, every step I took, the happy level got closer or got better. So meaning if I was at 36, you can damn sure bet I would try to get at 26 if I thought I could. Yeah. I mean, that's just, you know, how, how it works. The thing is, is it is so the, the fucking adrenaline pumps so much more when you are going from the hunt starts at 40, 60 or whatever with the recurve. Yeah. My hunt ended. Ended there. (laughs) Yeah. And so. It's kind of like from a rifle, a compound. Oh yeah. Where it ends with a rifle, it starts with a, with a bow. Well, and with, with Frank, when he, so Frank got to watch. Uh, this stock where I shot this one at a couple feet or, I mean, I don't know how far it was. I, the velvet was a few inches from the bottom of my boot, <laughs> but I would have never happened with a compound. You know what? I, I would have yeah. just circled around and shot it at 80 or something. I mean, I just yeah. wouldn't have. And, and wouldn't at, have had that experience. No. And I mean, I had shit running down both legs, like full on, because when I took the step on the boulder and looked down and his velvet was like this, you know, just like a few inches from my feet. I was like, That's holy cool. shit, I can't believe this is going to happen. That is cool. And and that would have never happened with a compound. And, and, and those are the, it you was, are a predator. It was crazy. Well, I had a lot of shit going for me that day specifically. What did it take me, three hours to get there? It took a long time. Nice. I got lost, lost my fucking shoes several times because I stalked on the wrong rock, wrong rock. And I come around the corner and I'm finally like, I think that's the rock. And I'm trying to find Frank a thousand yards out. And he stands up and does this. Like a like, like a touchdown. touchdown, and I'm like, holy shit, that deer's still there. And the wind was so bad that he didn't want to move, and so it was it was a cool again. It's the perfect setup to get that close. Yeah. Oh yeah, I like. I mean, I'll hunt in the wind with with yeah, a compound. Buddy. I'm like, eh, with a stick bow. I'm like, hey, let's go hunting. It's windy because uh, they plant. They don't want to get up. Well, these are the things like I had just talked about on this last podcast with Trad Geeks. What. I really would like people to experience that because I never would experience those things. As you know, I mean, you've, you don't ever give me shit about shooting long distance. You would just kind of in your Tom come way, kind of like, well, 
you know, I think you'd, you know, probably get a little more out of it if you scoot it a little closer. And <laughs> those are the things that I want people to see that, that that I got to see from picking up the recurve. I never would have felt that. I, it, I'm not an emotional guy. When I shot the elk, I about broke down into tears. I mean, I had to take a minute. That's I don't cool, know. man. That well, was awesome. It's just I don't feel it normally. You know? we, we talk about it, it happened in my case, you know, when I was my best buddy, Paul Plattner, growing up, man, we learned to bow hunt together. We had a year of backpacking. We didn't see anything, you know, and in the second year, it was like we scared some stuff. It was a big success. <laughs> we learned area. There wasn't the Internet then. There's not. We learned it all by ourselves just in the field. But the first elk I killed, he called in with a garden hose. There was a plan on <laughs> Outdoor Life magazine, how to make an elk bugle out of a garden hose. And we, with a dowel that you flattened out over the, you know, yeah, and yeah. put the flat spot under the, <laughs> the notch in the garden hose and we plugged it at the other end. The thing would make three little tones, right? And we, and we read this article like, hey, the TC, listen to this. The article says that one guy should call and the other guy should get ahead of him and the elk will walk by him. <laughs> That's where I start. You know, nobody can ask me a dumb question, right? Right. Yeah, I got but that you. first elk that like that we got, and I say we, I got to shoot it, but it was we. Man, we were hugging, and lifting each other off the ground. It was awesome, and then we killed some elk after that. You know, we got start getting regular at getting elk. But then I went to that recurve that year, and it, this was after several years, from seventy six to eighty six to eighty nine. I don't remember. It's from somewhere in that neighborhood. And he calls in this elk, and it walks by him at four feet, and he still got his compound. He didn't think he could get it cracked over without spooking it. And it comes in front of me, low light situation. I probably couldn't see through a peep, you know, probably in that half hour legal light, you know. Yeah. And I kill that elk. Well, when we found it, we were lifting each other up again like we were, that was like the first elk, you know, like yeah. hugging and lifting each other up off the ground again. It was the coolest thing. And it, like my buddy was like, man, if I had a longbow, I could have just eased up there and got that bull. And he got a longbow and he like killed bulls the next three years in a row and, <laughs> and, and laid them down regular after that with yeah. a longbow. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a different feel. It's a different, you know, with, with a little bit more challenge comes a lot more satisfaction. Oh, I can tell. I was, uh, Amy, my, my fiance, she, um, she has to listen to me talk constantly. Um, and well, I don't know. She's a talker. She probably talks more than I do, but I'm telling her about this stuff and she's not a hunter. So she's always, you know, listening in and, and from a non, non hunting, you know, green perspective. And, you know, I was, I was talking to her about it and I was like, you know, I mean, everything is truly a trophy with a recurve. So, oh, yeah. And the the other thing, too, is that, um, you know, for for I mean, most um, most guys, I would say that are Justin Davis is a good example. You know, Justin. I don't know him personally. I know but, about him a lot. Yeah. And I, th- I seems think like a neat guy. He, and he's a killer. I think that little bastard needs to pick up a recurve. He obviously can get her done with the compound and he's a great hunter tremendous hunter he's a sneaky little guy and he's constantly you know he talks about i mean he's poo-pooed on me shooting shit far away before and i'm like uh totally totally understandable but i'm like dude i i think this is something he would truly enjoy oh yeah um and and i mean if he like getting close before he's gonna have to get even closer you know now and i think there's certain people i hate to say it like this but are probably built or bred for traditional archery more than others um yeah if you like to hunt a lot and if if you don't have to kill something at first especially yeah because after you get good at this you pull, you'll put them down regularly i i'm a i have a that's one thing that jeff landers brought up is what's going to happen when you suck one year i hope that doesn't happen but he's like 
you need to pull the horseshoe out of your ass and get real, real comfortable with the fact that you may go a year and not shoot anything. I doubt it. And I was like, yeah, well, that's what I was like. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm like, nothing. I go on too many hunts. And, but I mean, there, there is that chance, but I think if you, if you put your work in, uh, and that's one thing you taught me out of the gate, if you practice and you have practice with good form and you're true, you're truly dedicated to the, I don't even call it the art, um, that you, you'll probably be successful far and above someone that picks it up once a month. I mean, I truly think you need to shoot almost every day a few arrows uh, with, with a recurve compared to a compound. I can shoot once every six months, and I don't really lose a step. With a recurve, I mean, I you you need to shoot a lot. Um, you know, the the biggest thing that I, the questions I get when people are switching is is uh, hey, I bought this from a garage sale. Um, you know, what arrow do I need? And, and truly, truly green, no one around. And I think that's when podcasts like this or the push or, 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 or YouTube channels, if you don't have a shop, you, you're a phone call away from people like you, you know, yeah. Rocky mountain, yeah. um, you know, for, for help. Um, I encourage people to call us anytime. We'd love to help. I don't care if you buy anything or not, we'll help you. We well, love, we love what we do. Oh, and I can say that truly. And I, one of the, like tuning. So kind of going a step-by-step process for how I see it when I walk into to Rocky Mountain and say, hey, uh, you know, Tom, Tommy, or Danny, or whoever, um, I need I need to tune this. We you, we go over and you guys have a pile of different shafts at different lengths, uh, and then you'll exchange point weights. So you'll have a rough idea of what I probably need, and mm-hmm. we'll bear shaft tune. All of those shafts are bare at, at different lengths to get real close. And uh, you know, shitty form aside, I, I, I'm shooting these different arrows to get the exact shaft length, spine, and point weight I need to get pretty dang close with a bare shaft. And again, this is my perspective of this. And then somebody runs back, throws feathers on um, to, to I, I guess. Confirm it. Yeah, yeah, confirm and perfect or whatever. Yeah. And then we'll run back and get a broadhead and we'll confirm that. It, that's exactly what happened. And, and uh to, today I've got to shoot broadheads when we get done with this podcast you're gonna to have to deal with me over there again but <laughs> I uh and it, it to me and I've heard so many different theories on tuning this was like the simplest quickest most surefire way to do it it was step by step it was quick um fairly painless having all those obviously you may not have that um, opportunity but you guys seem to be able to nail it pretty freaking close every time before I even shot. Uh, a shaft that you would know just from experience what's probably going to work. So after I'm rambling on here, a guy walks in that's um, 29 inch draw shooting, uh, let's say 44 pounds um, out of a standard recurve. What do you think? Like generally, say 400 spine. I mean, you, you guys generally okay. have a pretty close idea. Yeah, we'll look at the bows. Is the longbow's recurve? How center cut is the shelf? It's mm-hmm. a super center cut. We know it's going to be a little stiffer. If it's a long bow and the, and the arrow's pointing left quite a bit, it's going to be a lot lighter. Mm-hmm. So we'll kind of look at the equipment, the efficiency of the bow is going to play into that. But we'll have a ballpark. Heck, we do it every day. We'll yeah. have a ballpark. And so we'll say, like, how much weight are you going to be shooting for? So we'll start with the point weight you want and then kind of confirm, like, are you a gap shooter that likes a certain length of arrow? You know, because if he does, now we've got to really adjust some other things, you know, besides length. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I like to tune by length. We're changing dynamic spine. A short arrow is stiffer than the longer arrow overall, dynamic spine. Um, so, you know, like, yep, I want to get 200 grains up front. 
Uh, and if the guy knows what weight range he wants to be in, well, then we'll design, you know, because some of these, these, all these different makes are different weights, you know, per inch. Mm-hmm. So we can kind of make a, a guess and get him close to a ballpark, you know, like I want to be around 550 grains. So if they ask for recommendations, first thing I'm going to do is like, what are you hunting? Mm-hmm. You know, if it's just deer, I know we can go lighter. You know, if I've got a moose hunt, well, I want to go a little heavier, right? Yeah. yeah. And and then, you know, I'm going to tell them, shoot these arrows all year round. I don't care if you're shooting at a 3D target or paper target or a rabbit or a moose, shoot those arrows, get dialed in to that. Yeah. You know, if he's a hunter. So then, yeah, we're going to go out to the bear shaft section. We're going to pick a shaft that kind of meets those criteria. And I'm going to make a bald ass guess on a length and we're going to get a baseline. Well, shoots that thing with plenty of room. You know, we want some arrow up front, which actually a longer arrow on a recurve bow makes your sight picture better. If you're a a point of aim shooter, it's going to reduce your point on range. If you're an instinctive aimer, it still improves the sight picture to have some arrows sticking out in the front there. So I certainly don't care if my arrows are not an inch over my riser, you know. Mine are hanging out about five right now. I think four. Yeah, yeah look at that picture of me shooting at moose. I think it looks like there's like six inches hanging out, right? <laughs> my yeah. wife would think it was eight. but yeah. <laughs> Lying um, to all yeah. But anyways, um, you just, uh, so we start with that arrow. Man, if it's coming out knock left, like wrapping around the bow too much, it's weak. Mm-hmm. If it wheels off to the left and it's knock right, it's too stiff. Okay, we know what we got to do. If it's too stiff, I'm probably going to go to a different, I'm going to go down a spine. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm going to go from a 500 to four, or I mean a 400 to a 500. If it's too weak, perfect. We'll grab a shorter one. And you'll just literally watch it walk into straight as we go shorter, shorter, shorter. Yeah. If you're a guy at home, hopefully you're starting with some room to cut, you know, and yeah. you're a little weak. And you can cut that back a bit at a time until it just dials in. We're looking for right down the middle and a little knock high. With no fletching, you can tune your knock set to shoot a bear shaft perfectly. But what we typically see, and these are all generalities, by the way, is if you get an arrow that goes down the middle and a little knock high, with feathers, that thing is going to be money. And with broadheads, that thing is going to be money. Yeah. Um, and well, it's literally kind of that easy. Yeah. And I was, so I shot vintages last year. I've killed everything with those uh, Black Eagle vintage shafts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, with that one, we had to cut my um, my my arrow a little bit short to have uh, you know all that point weight I had up front for stiffness. So yeah. I was actually getting pretty freaking close to my finger, probably closer than I wanted to be. But I shot it so well, I didn't want to you know yeah. change it. And and I'm a very I'm one of those guys as as if you see at my house, there'll be eight dozen of the same arrows fletched the same way, same everything. I don't like to change, and I shoot yeah. them all for the same thing. Well, this year. Um, when I kind of was getting this wild, hairy ass notion to go back to recurve, I went in uh, with with the rampart, and I'm like, all right, Danny, we we got to get some arrows um, f- dialed in for this thing, perfect. Because I I just grabbed those vintages and they weren't perfect through that, and it took Danny probably mm, fifteen minutes, probably of screwing around, and he's a lot more anal retentive than I would have been. Like he's going back and forth, slight distance d- yeah. differences in length, um, and we ended up. With those, that was an axis. We had 75 grain brass insert, 200 grain broadhead or tip up front. Um, and that tuned perfectly. We'll see since my form has probably changed from picking it back up today when we go to tune it a little bit more, uh, you know, fine tune it. Um, but I, I guess my point being with that is, is that's a skinny shaft that's a 340. Mm-hmm. Um, but I probably still can get away with a larger diameter 340 
But the, the length may change a little bit. Probably or, a little longer. Yeah. Yep. Or the point weight may be a little bit different. Or that. Yeah. Um, and it, it simplified it for me. And I sandbag with tuning questions because honestly, I don't have time. So I always send them to you guys. That's yeah. good. That's what we do. Yeah. And it's not, I, I don't, if there's a hiccup in the middle there, I'm not going to know where to go after the hiccup. I can get you generally yeah. close, but I, I don't know enough. Some of the other things I was amazed was how much, um, you'd put like three twists in my string, four twists, mm-hmm. like to adjust the brace height. I would have never guessed that. Remember that the Buffalo was weird. It tuned oh. at seven and three eighths brace height. Yeah. So if the arrow's a touch stiff, but we kind of don't have anywhere to go, a touch more brace height will shoot a little stiffer arrow mm-hmm. or vice versa. Yeah. So there's a little bit we can do the bow. We can put something behind the side plate, you know. Yeah, if, yeah, shim it out a little, little bit. Uh, weak, mm-hmm. you know, we can put a little behind the side plate and that arrow all of a sudden shoots good. There's a little bit you can do the bow, but mostly we have to tune with the arrow. Well, and that was what was crazy to me is um, with the Buffalo, I wouldn't say finicky. Anything past seven and five eighths brace height, it just did not shoot as well. Made more noise, which is a low, low brace height. I th- I thought, or from what I've read and seen, seven and seven and a half to eight's pretty common for a recurve, a hunting recurve. Yeah. Well, and I thought, and and it could have been going off of um. Yeah, there's other bow manufacturers do a much larger. Yeah. If the know, handles are set back, then you're gonna you're gonna have a low brace height. If that if it's got a lot of deflex in the handle, there's gonna be a big brace height. Right. And each has their advantage. One's going to catch a little more speed. Once, you know, the big deflex risers, you can put it, put that in a short bow and make it smoother for a longer draw. Well, you know, I there's think this like game that's played, the, the, the boyers play between speed, forgiveness, noise, you know, like they can all build a bow that's super fast, but it's not going to be very forgiving and it's pretty loud. Yeah. They can all build a bow that's super quiet, but it's going to be pretty slow. Yeah. <laughs> you know yep. what I mean? And so yeah. the good bows just are really high on all those schedules. Nobody can have the fastest bow, the quietest bow, the most forgiving. Nobody can have that. No, And I learned that quick and I'm not going to mention any other, you know, names as far as this, cause it, it probably sound negative. I shot some speed bows. It, not for me. I don't have the whatever yeah. form. And I'm like, man, I couldn't hit a bull in the ass with a, a base fiddle with this thing. Cause when I had any slight imperfection, just like a compound on a speed bow, I mean, instead of being, let's say, from um, a softball at 20, I was a paper plate. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. And so for me, the forgiveness aspect was a lot uh, a lot more important. And I, I think I think what Black Widow, they're like eight and a half, nine. They have a huge yeah, brace height. Yeah. If they get low, they get really noisy. Yeah. And so it's kind of weird with every different bow, you know, right. make, model, manufacturer. I'll be interested to see how it, uh, what shakes out with this rampart uh, today with the the, the broadheads or whatever, because I'm taking her down to Alabama to um, nice. shoot a lot of something. When are we going, Frank? The February 2nd. Yeah. We're going to see how nice. much they duck those recurve arrows because they duck. <laughs> They're probably going to duck a lot. Yeah. I think 14, we shot 14 deer, 11 were in the spine. They drop. Yeah. You're probably going to be aiming below the brisket. <laughs> I'm going to have to, as soon as I get down there, I'm climbing that tree stand in the front yard. I'm going to start shooting some shit because, yeah, I need to practice. That That's another thing, too, is we're rambling on. One of the coolest things about a trad bow is stump shooting oh, or, yeah. or pine cones or whatever. You don't get you to shoot. do with your compound. Hell no. You blow up your arrows. Yeah, and I get arrows free and I still don't do it. I mean, you'd, you'd yeah. have to bring 30. Um, and, and, and that was like hunting camp. You, you know, you even backpacking in. Um, I use those piggyback things you showed me. Um, <coughs> Selway makes. I yeah. think Selway. Uh-huh. I, I, I go in. It looked like the movie Three Hundred. I'd go in with twi- like arrow. I mean, my bow was weighed fourteen <laughs> pounds. I had arrows everywhere. But I like um, uh, all day when we're back at camp. 
you know, take a nap, get up, just just repetitiveness shooting over and over and over and over. It gives you a warm and fuzzy for for one, but two, it's just it's funner. It's, I mean, it's just fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Do you now? Do you ever stump shoot with like dull broadheads wait, at pine cones and oh, stuff? Once like in that? a while, yeah. If I shoot it, so if I got a dull broadhead, I'll I'll shoot it just once in a while. I just I hate losing my broadheads or getting them buried <laughs> under the grass, but yeah, it just kind of it's nice to shoot one once in a while. Yep, yep, it shoots just like everything else. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I um, Brian gave me was met laughing because uh, I I will say I mean Frank, you can chime in. I talk a lot of shit on the 3D course with a compound because I can, <laughs> uh, not so much with the recurve. And uh, Brian, who's who's not you know a great great shot with a he's a good shot. Um, I had probably razzed a bit more than I probably should have during the compound shooting. When I missed that deer, I was over there with my pocket knife digging my my cutthroat. <laughs> it was a good sales pitch for you guys, and I didn't even mean it to be. I shaved with it after I pulled it out of the log. Um, he's like, Aaron, what's your arrow doing in that log? I don't know how much crap I'd given him for shooting with the compound. I'm like, I probably deserve the majority of this uh, razzing, but I was able with a compound, you're probably down at that point to six or five arrows. Could be a problem if you're unsure where you're hitting. Well, hell, I just threw a field tip on and shot my way back to camp to nice. assure that yeah. I just fucked up. Yeah, both yeah. fine. I missed. Yep, exactly. Uh, so what do you, um, bouncing all over the place, do you like slide-on quivers, bolt-on, uh, the strap-on quivers? What do you prefer quiver-wise for most of your bows, or does it change bow to bow? Uh, they each have their strengths and weaknesses. So, you know, like uh, those strapped-on ones are great because you can throw it on a long bow recurve. You can have one quiver for all your bows. Uh, they're great for hunting because they stay tight and they stay in place. When you're on the archery, you know, the range where you're pulling arrows in and out all the time, the strapped-on ones, it's hard to get quite as tight, so they tend to migrate out and you're pushing them back in. It's about the only negative to those like the uh, boas make. You know, I like uh, slide-on. I've used them all, man. I, I like I've used a bunch of slide-ons on recurves and longbows. I've used the limb bolt ones. Uh, I tend to like the slide-ons or the sidewinders. You know, when the boyer will put some those brass bushings in there where you can uh, wind them into the side of the riser because you don't have to unstring your bow or it's not a hassle. You can take them on and off really easy if you're traveling. So I tend to like those sidewinders. Mm -hmm. The limb bolts I don't tend to like as much because it, sometimes it gets the hood and the clip, the arrow clip too close together and it fans your arrows out really wide. Yeah. Yep. So I like to keep that separation there, you mm -hmm. know? So a slide on at the, all the way, you know, slid right down to the end of your riser is great. Or those sidewinders because they, they can get some separation there and they're easy on and off. That's yeah. what's great about the strapped on ones too. Yeah. It's super easy to on and off. I just, I like the Selway mostly because, um, he made cool custom ones for me, and I killed a bunch of stuff with them. Oh, yeah. I, I probably will never switch. Um, that and Drew and Plus his father. Drew and that, and that family and everybody associated with him. They're just great, great folks, too. I, I don't know if he was more excited than I was when I said, hey, I'm going to shoot Trad again. Uh, he immediately's like, I'll make you a quiver. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> what, what kind of Kafaro shit you need? We'll do some trading. So he made uh, – uh, two, this is obviously an explicit podcast. One says never fucking quit, which is going to remind me to never <laughs> stop shooting the trad bow. And the other one says Kafaru cast. But nice. he, uh, you know, with, um, you know, some of the different, um, what did I say? I would say be open-minded with some of the options because you get people that are so hard-headed. I've, I've noticed both oh, with compound yeah. and traditional, but, you know, this is the only way. And I tried um, what a lot of people said was uh, – is it great northern quivers? 
Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. some kind of a bolt-on limb bolt thing. Yeah, they they make them like ones you can strap on, or and they're, the quiver is basically the same. Or yeah. They have some that go under the limb bolts. Yeah. And I it was I wasn't I'm not saying it's not a great quiver. It just wasn't uh, you know wasn't for me. I like the one that slides on the uh, the limb the most. Um, mm-hmm. And I I pack six, um, uh, and then I piggyback at least two more. When I'm backpacking, I do the same exact thing. Yeah. And I mean, I got so nervous. I had like in BC for the grizzly hunt, I had eight arrows in a tube that I strapped on my pack. And because I was so paranoid about this bear hunt, I'm like, what if I fall? What if I didn't need them? Then I was worried about getting them wet and I keep them dry in that tube. Now, Tommy, uh, he he had me spray them with never wet or hairspray or I don't know. It worked pretty damn good. There's a silicone spray. It's Scotch guard, maybe. Something like that. Yeah. And the particular stuff I use, and there's different ones out there, and they work fantastic. You know, some of them you have to spray like way ahead of time because there's a chemical odor. Yeah. You have to let them. That stuff I sprayed smelled like shit. It was yeah. yeah. You gotta, you, so you can't spray them and go hunting. Yeah. Yeah. But there's lots of things to do. Like we said, I always have natural, you know, at least a couple arrows with all natural turkey feathers, wild turkey feathers, because there's a, and I pick the feathers with big oil lines. They stand up really well. Yeah. I I, I ordered some of that gateway powder stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't tried. I, I've heard tons of people tell me it's great. I've heard other people say they didn't really like it. Um, I've heard other guys tell me it tastes like shit when they put it in the corner of their mouth. Um, I, I guess I, I, I know it's good product and I'm just... I just don't like when they're brand new. They kind of puff that stuff, and that that powder is so fine. Yeah, it looks like you could inhale a half a bottle. You know, if you <laughs> yeah. put it close to your mouth, and and, and there's probably nothing to worry about. But I just I just didn't like that stuff in the air that I'm breathing. I well, guess we'll, we'll see if I like my asshole turns around, and starts talking back at me because I was that's <laughs> one of the things I was looking at. I was like, huh, and I heard guys say, "Man, works great." Do not because guys uses their uh, whatever you call it their. Um, uh, when they when they have their touch, like for, to have a trigger, yeah, yeah triggers release off the feather or it, whatever feather yeah. in the mouth. Yeah, they didn't yeah. like that so much; it tasted bad. But we'll see. Yeah. I'm going to try that because we're we, with the wet weather hunts. I is a I've even thought about trying to uh, you know put a shelf or an elevated rest on there for shooting veins, so I can shoot feathers and veins. Yeah, um, right. you know, and those are all learning things for me. Like you know, we're nine days into a hunt and it's re- piss and rain. And my feathers are like, you know, two of them are sticking up, one's flattering a monkey's ass. And I'm like, huh, I'm going to have to stab this grizzly if I get a chance or whatever. (laughs) So there's always, you know, trials and and tribulations. On that kind of hunt, I'd certainly have some treated feathers. Yeah. Yeah. No, for, for sure. Well, what, um, what would you say, uh, try to wrap this up pretty quick with, and you've heard me complain about guys, you know, obviously bashing me in the, the trad world. What would you say as far as how it's changed with, not technology shooting wise, because really not probably that much has changed in the last 10, 15 years. But as far as technology, social media, the podcasts, YouTube, um, you know, as far as like getting traditional archery to be, you know, I, I hate to say it, but cool again. Uh, one of the biggest things, as you heard me complain, was I guess you could say maybe curmudgeons or you've called them crusty sometimes uh-huh. that kind of poo poo on anything different. Um you know, maybe guys trying to get, uh, you know, into traditional archery, doing it maybe a little bit different way. Are you liking the direction it's going or disliking? I'm loving the direction it's going. Uh, in, in my day, you know, like I said, um, um, we were starting at, you know, late 20s, early 30s, you know, like the, the young 
studly dudes that are hunting now. That's the ages that all these crusty guys started at, basically. Mm -hmm. And it was a change from the compounds. Yeah, there were some guys like Tracy that grew up with shooting nothing but a stick bow. Yeah. Because they had a dad that got them into it. And there were guys like me that we went to an archery range any time after in the 70s and things that switched the compound bow. So they we got put on a compound bow right away. And like I said, I enjoyed every second of it, every compound bow I ever shot. Yeah. But that generation, you know, my generation of guys got pretty crusty. You know, like back in the day, we'd, we'd like, uh, well, this guy gap shoots. You know, we weren't the Fred Asbell instinctive style, you know, like, well, he beat us in a 3D tournament. Well, well I, yeah, but he gap shoots like. I heard that same shit. And I'm like, <laughs> and? And if you want to beat him, or if you want to be more accurate, maybe you should gap shoot. Yeah. You know, like how dumb was that? Yeah. And not everybody, you know, not everybody's brains can see a trajectory path or spatial relationship. I can instinctive aim. You can instinctive aim. Guess what? We didn't earn that. Yeah. We, we, we we're born with that, mm -hmm. you know, like that good for us, but it's nothing earned. We had that ability. We developed it. That's cool. Yeah. But some people just can't hit anything aiming like that. We need to give those guys an effective way to shoot that bow and enjoy it. It is fun for me to be able to instinctive aim, just look at a spot and not worry about range. That is cooler than hell. Yeah. I'm glad I can do that. But it, you know what? I'm Now that I want some more tools in my tool belt, I've learned point of aim shooting. I've learned to use the arrow to aim. That is fun, too. It's it funner for fun me at long distance. Yeah, <laughs> it is fun to sink one consistently at 50. And, yeah. You know, yeah. Like, watch this. Yeah. That's fun, man. Yeah. No, it is. You know, and it gives you some assuredness that you're going to put one in there, too. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, the, the crusty guys in the comments and you wounded an animal while you're talking, yeah, you're an honest guy. This happens in hunting. Yeah. Please. It didn't happen to you. Yeah. Are you, do you lie about that? Yeah. Um, come on, man. Yeah. Um, this is, this is a great sport. And in, in, in prior to the crusty generation, those guys did it all. Yeah. They did target archery. I mean, the shooting came out of target archery back then. And those guys were great shooters. Mm -hmm. You know, like guys just a little younger than me, like Tracy, he grew up with a dad that came, that was always in this sport and learned his shooting out of target archery. And that's why Tracy was one of the best shots in the region for years and years, right? Mm -hmm. He was taught a good target form, basically. Yeah. And he was, then he was a great shot under hunting conditions. Yeah. And then we got into this whole side thing about the squat and pop shooting and, and then, you know, we had generations of guys that that was the only way to shoot a stick bow, baloney, you know? So now we're getting back to, let's take some things from the target world and learn to shoot this bow really well yeah, and be accurate with this thing at longer ranges. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And that fits right hand in glove with hunting. You know, all the, all the good shooters, you know, in the, in the early days, all the great shooters came out of the target world and all the great hunters. I mean, the really good shots, they learned it in the target world. Yeah. Why wouldn't we want to execute a shot like the best archers in the world, like an Olympian? And the cool thing is we can take the biomechanics off of that shot and take it right under a bush with us with the bow level of the ground and execute the shot, put our body in the same positions. We just keep everything from like the belly button top of your head the same as if you were standing up in a per perfect stance. And we can take our head and our torso and that bow level to the ground under a bush in the same mechanics and shoot really well. Why wouldn't we want to do that? That is cool. Yeah. No, I mean, those are obviously all the things you kind of ingrained in, in me. I, I definitely think that, um, the, uh, it seems like traditional archery, um, right now is kind of at an all time high or getting, you know, 
to be much more well known than it had been maybe in the last few years. And it could be, I'm just, cause I'm well, getting well, into it. Well, it could be, it, guys, you know, guys like you, yeah. I mean, that, you know, as far as sparking the interest, that helps a heck of a lot when you, you have somebody that people admire in the compound world and they try this and they have good experience with it and they relate the fun of it. Um, obviously that creates interest. Yeah. Um, we need, you know, guys like my sons, guys like you to be seen out there by more people. Like this is a whole other venue of archery guys. It, you don't have to hunt this way. You might want to do this just cause it is damn fun to shoot. Right. Yeah. Yep. It's, it is more fun. It adds challenge. Yeah. Um, problem today is the same as it was when I was younger. Not enough instructors out there, not enough giving guys good information on how to shoot. Now, the internet, social media, we've got a lot more to choose from, and it does help a lot. I mean, I've had lots of really nice comments. Guys make me feel great because they'll say, hey, I just heard the, the podcast, and things you said on the podcast really helped my form, and all of a sudden, it's, things are going better. Stuff Turner's doing with Target Panic, mm-hmm. you know, which is the plague to everybody virtually except for a few freaks like you. That, it's like Voldemort. You just don't, you don't say its name. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, better information is getting more widespread. As that occurs, we're going to have better hunters, better shooters, and more enjoyment. More it's for a business side, more retention in the sport. If you if you have if you can hit the target, it's way more fun. Yeah. And you'll do it more. Yeah. You know? So for for a business side, you know, if you just be good people, like share the stuff that you love to do. And you know, that's just being good people. It happens to be good for business too. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. Well, no, we I mean I love helping people, but I also love helping them after they bought a pack. It, it certainly doesn't hurt my feelings to help them if they sure. supported us. Yeah. I mean, that's human nature. But I know you, you help guys with no, that ha- you have nothing to do with selling something. You'll help them anyway. Yeah. No, I mean, I've helped guys yeah. adjust packs that certainly didn't come from, from us. Uh, <laughs> with a, with a traditional side, I don't help as much. I don't feel I've, I've earned the, maybe the right to help and, until I get some more experience under my belt. And I think that was one of the falsehoods since I did kill a bunch of stuff. People were asking me questions and this is internet wide just because I got lucky and, and killed some stuff. I don't have the experience and a lot of people don't that, that you have of years and years and years under your belt. Yeah. I can kind of half-ass give you a gentle direction, but go seek a true professional. Um, don't seek a internet warrior or, um, you know, whatever that, that may be giving you some, so maybe, I mean, obviously they may be trying to help and have the, the greatest intentions. I, I would pay attention to what worked for that guy that was new and mm-hmm. he had success. I would definitely pay attention to that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. I think that, um, I guess what I'm getting at is definitely pay attention. I think that the gear, the bow, the form, but truly when you get into like some technical questions, I, I, I can't stress enough how important it is to get a coach, to get somebody that actually knows what they're doing. Um, it's just hugely you know, beneficial and, and what you guys offer over there is amazing. So yeah, thanks. It does help to get a guy that's been through it. Like I've shot poorly for decades, you know, before I learned a lot of the stuff that I did, uh, Joel Turner, he'll talk about the years he spent, you know, like yipping the bow down to the target and, and the trials he had with target panic, you know, it's like, how can I really teach you unless I've been where you are? I mean, how can I relate to you? I've been where everybody's at. Yeah. Trust me, there's no judgment on, on the, on the way a guy shoots from me. Yeah. Um, any way you want to enjoy that bow is great with me. If you want to get better further away, yeah, I probably got some help for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I don't judge you. If people saw me shoot 15 years ago, even they know I don't judge you by the way yeah. you shoot. No, like for sure. And I've heard Joel, um, talk he he what 15 years he went and he didn't 
kill an elk or something. A, yeah, a bunch of them in a row. It was a it was a pile, and I get along decently enough with Joel now. He's pretty funny. Um, we initially did not. Uh, I think I told you I wanted to kill him um, uh, or conk him in the head. Uh, I can't remember what, but I think with Joel as a as a dominant you know personality. And um, I don't think he realized how much in the case I serve one master, which is you. Um, and he kind of he dove in, uh, you know, head first with the best of intentions. Right. Yeah, to, with great intentions. Right. To help me in um, to my Rubs own. Wrong. Yeah. Per, but as I say that, Joel is a great head doctor. I mean, he big time, you know, and, and you're a great form coach. I think the biggest thing I have going, I don't know if it's going for me. I am not susceptible or a lot of the things that, that Joel coaches. I'm, I'm personally seen and you're about the only guy I can say this about. I've not seen that stuff pop up in your shooting and you are the exception to the rule. Well, some of the things I tell you, I'm like, I don't believe that, that that, no, that's not true. And and you would say, well, maybe not for you. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And that's exactly what I'm thinking. I'm like, okay. Or I'm thinking not yet. Yeah. Yeah. And it could be, you know, I'm I'm watching, I'm watching you like a hawk. Yeah. And if we see any of that stuff creep in, Hey, we'll address it. I think one of the biggest things that's helped me is I got target panic with a compound and, uh, yes. And you learn to deal with that shit happened overnight. I went from winning everything and then this one tournament, a guy got in my head. So you um, do understand? Oh, completely. Yeah. And, and that, but I, a guy got in my head, and I went to you know I'm hitting it, you know I'm, I'm shoot, normally shooting for twelve, shooting you know eight, ten, twelve up on a twenty target course, and I'm like struggling to hit the eight. Can't figure out why for the life of me. Pin hits the body line. I'm doing the corrective bow arming, trying to push it up, and and literally I'm like okay, and but I was smart. I put the bow down. I, I literally Super, you didn't practice that bad stuff. No, I, yeah. I quit. I went and saw a coach and immediately what he said, well, he got me on a hinge release. Um, and the way my brain worked, that fixed it immediately. Right. Totally. And I think knowing what's and Frank will see, I'll shoot three arrows. I'll put my bow away. If it's not my day, it's not my day. Yeah. You're and not going to practice bad form. No. I mean, how many shot. times do you see me do that? I've seen it a few times. Yeah. I mean, if it's a bad day and when I say a bad day, meaning probably not going to join myself that day. I don't shoot my trend because you never shoot your way out of shit form. I mean, you don't shoot your, I've never seen anyone shoot their way out of a shitty day. Uh -uh. Put the bow away, go home, snap some photos, go take the wife to dinner, put the bow in the case and do not get it Which is hard to do. It it, it is, but I, with the recurves the same way and I had to focus on it. There was times where I'm trying to shoot, just like when I was getting good with a compound. I'll just keep shooting, keep shooting. Well, I learned real quick. I'm like, ah, Maybe I'll just take some photos of this pretty bow and put this fucker <laughs> in the case because it ain't happening today. I think that that was a big thing that 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 has helped me. But the the target panic thing, I'm not saying I'm uh, impervious to it, but I'd say as I, I'm as close as you can get because I've had it and I know, um, yeah. you know, and kind of what got to expect. Exceptional mental control in a process. Yeah, so far so good. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. what you did with that hinge, this is all we're doing with the guy with the recurve. Well, all Joel do does mm-hmm. is we're we're when we add a trigger to the end of the shot. Yeah, we're, that's you know to oversimplify it. That's kind of what we're doing. Yeah, no, and I mean it truly. I mean it's ex- exactly for in, the, in my little pea brain how it how it works. So yeah, well we we've, we've been talking forever, and we should probably stop. I I could talk to you forever. I cannot thank you and your family enough for everything you've 
done for me and Kafaru and in and, and my shooting and what you're hopefully going to do uh, again this year. To, <laughs> to, Mike, well, to help we me. feel the same about you, Aaron. You've been a tremendous friend. And uh, trust me, anytime we've spent together, it's been my pleasure. I enjoy the heck out of you. And and we learn together a lot, too. You know, mm-hmm. this has been fun. Well, it'll be good. Um, we're going to try and uh, I say we as in, you know, Tom and I and your kids as, as this kind of goes on with uh, I guess you could say, even though Tommy hates it, struggle stick round two. Uh, he <laughs> hates struggle stick, yeah. um, which yeah. I think the one day I pissed him off because I said, well, Tommy, how many elk did you miss before you killed one? I'd call that a struggle, buddy. I don't I don't think you like hearing that. Uh, well, he can't deny that. Yeah, I, I think struggle stick is a very fit. I mean, people are like, you should call it the humble stick or Whatever. It all means the same shit. I just like calling it struggle it, it, stick. It can be. Why yeah. lie? You yeah. Know? But Tommy well, lays them down now, man. Oh, yeah. No, and, yeah. and I, I mean, I think the 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 picture Ryan has on the T-shirt of three or four arrows under the elk and the fifth or fourth <laughs> going over its back, there's times that that happens. I, I missed a schlobber knocker in Idaho. I, I mean, it's, it, it just happens. And you walk yeah. off the mountain and I'm going, motherfucker, just shit. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the way that I am, I get to camp and I'm like, I'm going to get back up there. He's going to die tomorrow. I'll get nice. him tomorrow. That'll be. But no, I can't can't thank you enough. And we're just for people listening in, we're going to try and uh, kind of document off and on as much as we can. Um, the coaching aspect, the gear aspect of this, what bow or arrow setups I'm having, what Tom's doing with my form, uh, what epic failures I have as well as success. Uh, for those who you know give a shit that are listening in and that way you'll kind of learn something too as Tom's kind of coaching me along and and that'll be you know sporadically on the podcast videos and everything else so yeah love to get some more information on that stuff I love to share all this cool stuff I've learned yeah. uh, get more information to help guys that'd be great well, I love stealing it from you so I'm all about it awesome. but, uh, but yeah so yeah thanks for coming in man I can't wait to get you back on pleasure